0: I invite you to stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture reading is from James chapter 4, verse 13 through 5, 6. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil, so it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you And will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out. The outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived luxuriously on earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the righteous who do not resist you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Let me just add by way of welcome. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Good to be with you all. What a morning to celebrate! Uh, What a beautiful sunny day to celebrate! Uh, the baptism of nine individuals. Uh, Those of you who are joining us maybe for the first time or you're relatively new to First City, uh, we're glad that you're here this morning to experience one of the core practices of the church, to to see what it means to not only belong to Christ, but also to belong to his people, and how baptism signifies a deep union that we have with both Christ and his body. And so it's a joy to be able to celebrate that, to to do that and practice that as a church family. And if you are new, here's what we want you to know about First City. Like, what we just celebrated this morning, like, that is the core of who we are as a church. Like we baptize people this morning because Jesus truly is the resurrected and reigning King. Like if Jesus didn't get out of the grave, they just got wet, and it was pointless. Anybody else has been baptized? It was just a nice little dip in some warm water. Maybe you got baptized and it was really cold. But we do all of this because Jesus truly is the resurrected and reigning King. We believe He truly came to this earth, truly died on a cross for our sins, but on the third day rose again, and he ascended into heaven, and one day he's coming back. That's what we've staked our entire lives on as a church, and we want you to know the grace of that. We want want you to know the transforming power of the gospel above anything else, and so if there are ways that we can uh, bring you further into community, answer questions, pray for you, meet practical needs, please let us know. That goes for whether you're someone who's confident in your faith and you're looking for a church home, or maybe you're here this morning and you have lots of questions and you're wrestling through what it means to follow Christ Hey, those questions are welcome. Please bring them to this community. Or maybe you're here this morning and you wouldn't profess faith at all. Again, you're welcome here. We want you to know the grace of God and whatever objections, whatever questions, you can bring them here and openly ask and be honest about them. So wherever you are in your faith journey, know that the community of First City Church would love to welcome you and show hospitality to you. So uh, please connect with us uh, if you desire. If you have not opened your Bibles... To James uh, chapter 4, please do so. We're going to be in verses 13 through 5-6, as Jeannie read for us. And the title of my sermon this morning is Control Freaks. Are you a control freak? Would you claim that for yourself? Would someone else claim that for you? There was an article in Forbes magazine titled, Seven Signs You're a Control Freak. One, You aren't a good team player. Sign number two, you believe you are 100% responsible for your success. Number three, you have trouble maintaining meaningful relationships. Number four, you invest a lot of time in trying to convince other people to change. Number five, you spend a lot of energy trying to prevent bad things from happening. Six, you don't delegate tasks. Seven, you lack compassion for people who make mistakes. Resonate with any of those? I mean, there's some good common grace insights in, in that list. And, and listen, while, while some of us certainly have more control freak tendencies, here's the honest truth. We all, at some level, are control freaks. We all seek to try to control our lives. We want what we want, how we want it, when we want it, right? That, that is something that is so easy for us to just fall into. But here's the deeper problem. Like, like, leave aside sort of the obvious problem. You know, those seven signs are kind of you kind of like, oh yeah, that's a problem. Leave, leave that aside for a second. Like, look, being control freaks is actually enshrined in our culture. It's taught, it's valued. It's even seen as noble in our culture. Like, how many of us hear this line that our destiny isn't written for us, it's written by us? And we're all like, yeah, we write our own destiny, let's go get it. I mean, that, that was one of the... Uh, During a certain presidential election, that was a line that was repeated. Our destiny is not written for us, it's written by us. It's sort of rally the people. Hey, we make change. We're the ones who affect what happens in our lives. Or how many of us feel inspired by these great lines from the poem Invictus? It matters not how straight the gate or how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Like, over and over and over, we are bombarded with messages. There is, we, we, are, we hear these sort of pep talks that you control your life. You control your destiny. You define who you are. You determine how you are going to live your life and what you are going to live your life for. Over and over and over, we are shaped by these messages, and we are so prone to live our lives that way. And so listen. You may not outwardly show the seven signs of a control freak, but if you functionally live with this sense that my destiny isn't written for me, it's written by me, that I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul, guess what? You're a control freak. You are functionally living as a control freak. Sometimes this can be really bad news for people around you, and sometimes. It can be subtle. It doesn't show itself until difficulty hits, suffering hits. How many of you can identify with the idea of being a control freak? How many of you, when life gets difficult, things don't go your way, start to show that you actually think you are the one in control of things? I certainly can. I certainly do. We all are control freaks. And underneath all of that, both the obvious and the subtle is this, hearts given to self-reliance, self-sufficiency, self-definition. And this is the underlying heart condition that God's word through James comes to bring, is going to confront, and it brings much-needed warning and correction and reorientation. So for all the control freaks in the room, which is all of us, Here is God's word to us. Here is the main point for us this morning is be God-reliant, not self-reliant. Be God-reliant, not self-reliant. And so in this passage, James exposes the deception and the damage of self-reliance. He writes in in chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, "'Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit.'" Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. So it's likely that James is addressing a group of business leaders, business owners, merchants in the church. And just like business owners today, this group, they exercise a the level of control over their finances. They exercise control over their opportunities and the gain that they had. Things like planning, and hard work, and ambition, these were keys to success. And look, in many ways, these are really good things. However, running in that lane of owning a business, opportunity, gaining, planning, all of, all of that surfaced a problem for these business leaders and these merchants, self-reliance. Listen, I'm gonna go to this place I'm going to make these deals. I'm going to make that money. Watch me work. Watch me go. Acting as if the success of their hands was entirely up to them. Acting as if through their own hard work and ingenuity and and business acumen, all of those things, like that is what was going to guarantee success. There was a self-reliance in which they believed they were the cause of all good things that happened to them. They believed that if they could control enough, plan well enough, ambitious enough, work hard enough, success is guaranteed. Self-centered business ventures ran in self-reliance and self-sufficiency. And James calls them out in verse 16. He says all of that, it's boasting in arrogance. It's boasting in arrogance. And this boasting is problematic for two reasons. First, look, it's self-deceptive. It's self-deceptive to think we have that much control. Like, you boast about going to such and such city, spending a year there, making all this money. You say, go watch me work. Look what I'm going to accomplish. And yet, can you really control that much? Like, can you really control your life to that degree? Do you know what life is going to bring tomorrow? Can you guarantee that? Like, like, listen, everyone in the room right here, it doesn't matter how old you are, how many of you can say your life has played out exactly as you planned? (laughs) Like your education, your job, your health, your relationships, your marriage, your parenting, your finances, your circumstances, all of that according to plan. None of us. None of us, and we all know what happens when we try to micromanage those things, right? None of us has ultimate control. Yes, God has given us relatively a lot of control. In many ways, we do have a measure of control, but there is so much we can't control, and it is self-deceptive to think we can. And so James calls them on this self-deception Do you know what your life will bring? How can you say you're going to do all these things? You don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. Your life's like a vapor, here today, gone tomorrow. So the question is, are you living in such self-deception? Like, do you believe that you have that much control? That with enough hard work, planning, ambition, ingenuity, everything will turn out as you planned. Everything will be successful. And look, you may not be arrogant about it. You may not like go, hey, look at my deals, watch me work, watch me make that money. You might not be that arrogant. But listen, your self-sufficiency will show itself. The self-deception will show itself. It'll show itself in things like our prayerlessness. It'll show itself in the ways that we can be tight-fisted with our time and our money and our relationships. It'll show itself in the ways we'll never seek counsel from community it'll show itself in the ways that we live with acute anger and angst and anxiety about things. Like, do you know why you're giving over, giving over to anger and angst and anxiety? It's because you've deceived yourself into believing you can and should have that much control. And then when reality comes in and shatters your self-deception, boom, frustration, anger. Well, I should have been able to. Maybe, maybe not. Are you living in the self-deception of self-reliance. But the problem is deeper, as James is going to point out. Even deeper than self-deception, self-reliant boasting is rebellion. James calls it evil. And it's evil because it replaces God with self. I determine my life, not God. I determine my identity, not God. I determine my destiny, not God. I determine how I will live and what I will live my life for, not God. It is my power and my planning that causes success, not God. Rather than submitting to God, rather than depending upon God, rather than worshiping God, self-reliance rebels, and it enthrones self and sees self as the highest authority and self as the greatest power and control. And friends, listen, when we enthrone self, it can get dark. It can get dark. Listen to how James goes on in verses 5, 1 through 6. He says, "'Come now, you rich people. "'Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. "'Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. "'Your gold and silver are corroded, "'and their corrosion will be a witness against you "'and will eat your flesh like fire. "'You have stored up treasure in the last days.'" Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. So we we talked about this earlier in our series in James, that while Scripture doesn't teach that wealth in and of itself is evil, It doesn't teach that all rich people are evil. It does teach wealth can be dangerous. You see, it can amplify and drive us deeper into our self-reliance. It can seduce us into believing we have more power and control or that we should have more power and control. See, wealth so easily makes self-reliant people more self-reliant, self-sufficient people more self-sufficient, and rebellious people more rebellious. And so the question for us is this level of self-reliance happening in our hearts? Because look, look, look where James leads us. This level of self-reliance, James calls out these unrighteous rich for their mistreatment of others. Their self-reliance and rebellion had gotten so bad they were actually mistreating others. They were the wealthy were withholding wages. They were robbing those that they should have been paying. Those who struggled to make ends meet, the wealthy were making their lives more difficult. Like those who had abundance were making life harder for those who lived paycheck to paycheck. But even more, they condemned, they even murdered the righteous. So it's not clear what exactly what James is pointing to, but it is likely he is pointing to how the rich in this society at the time, or at least in these circumstances that these Christians found themselves in, the rich were leveraging the government and the courts to unjustly put people in prison or even have people unjustly executed. The wealthy sit in positions of power and they were using those positions of power unjustly to keep those underneath them. The righteous, the just. They were oppressing them, all in the name of getting more wealth, power, and control. And so listen, friends, listen. When we sell out to self-reliance and self-sufficiency, people become a means to an end. If your heart is sold out to self-reliance, people will be a means to your self-reliant ends. They will become the means by which you get what you want to maintain your power and your control and your success and status. Whatever it is you're chasing, people become a means to that. And so when this gets dark, we will use people, we will mistreat people, we will abuse, we will rob, we will rip off others for our own ends. Like Rather than people, loving people and serving them and caring for them, we use them. They become tools in the service of our gain, our status, and our self-fulfillment. And this gets so dark, so dark. And so in your self-reliance and self-sufficiency, are you mistreating others? Are you using others? Look, you may not be a wealthy person withholding wages and ripping somebody off. You might not be trying to leverage government and the courts to lock people up unjustly or even have them put to death, which would be really scary if you were trying to do that. You may not be these exact rich, wealthy people, but listen, we use people. We have a tendency to do this. We will use people for our own gain. Like in our jobs, we can use people for our own promotion. In our marriages, we can use our spouses to to fulfill and gratify maybe emotional brokenness or sexual brokenness. We can use our kids to, to feel a sense of importance. We can use our friendship Friendships to to find a sense of validation. We can use people in positions of leadership to to get our own agendas met and, and and have our own needs met and our agendas pushed through. Like there's so many ways that we can use people, and here's what happens when they don't get on our board. We get angry, we start to manipulate, or even worse, we will scrap relationships if they don't meet our needs. Is that not our culture? Is that not of the air we breathe? The way we are being shaped and formed, it can be so easy to fall into this. Using people for our self-reliant means, friends, listen, when we live life on our own terms, this is the inevitable results. When we live life on our own terms, people turn into tools, all in the name of gaining and satisfying ourselves, getting more for ourselves, or even fixing what is broken in ourselves. And James highlights the bitter irony in all of this. Highlights how all of that self-sufficiency leads to a dead end. Weep and wail, he tells these unrighteous rich. Lament, mourn for the miseries that are coming on you. Look at all that wealth that you've accumulated. Even now it's starting to corrode and waste away. Look at the fine clothes that you wear to signify your status. Already they are wasting away and moth-eaten. And look at that last day, James says, when, when what truly matters is revealed. Here's what your life is going to be left with, rusted riches and tattered rags. And they are going to stand over you in judgment and declare, here's the worth of your life. All that you gave yourself to, here's what it adds up to. See the end of self-reliant pursuits. And what's more, All that indulgence, all that self reliant indulgence, thinking you were sitting fat and happy. James uses this very vivid image. It was like fattening you up like cattle to be slaughtered, meaning it was setting you up for judgment. I mean, that's a vivid image that James uses, but it's worth it here. It's appropriate. Because when you think about the damage and destruction that our self reliance inflicts on people, judgment is what we deserve. Judgment is what we deserve. And so the question for us, is our life headed in the same direction? Like like is the trajectory of your life such that at the end of it all, all you're going to have is rusted riches and tattered rags declaring judgment over you for your worthless pursuit of self-reliant ends? Is that all our lives are headed towards? Friends, if that's you, James gives you a warning here. He gives you a warning, but he also holds out something greater, something better. God's word points us to something far greater than self-reliance, being God-reliant. In 4.15, James writes this, instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And here, friends, this is the key. This is the key to it all. If the Lord's will, caught up in this statement, in this short statement, it's a game changer for our hearts. In this statement, James, again, he asserts this theme that he has been pulling on the entire book of James, humility. Over and over and over, James keeps pointing us back to humility. Back in chapter one, verse five, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, oh, that's humility. In one twenty-one, he says, "Humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls." In four six, he says God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Then four seven and ten, therefore submit to God. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. So, friends, be God reliant, not self reliant. But that starts with a posture of humility. We need to notice that James doesn't call out the business owners and the merchants for planning and going after profit per se. The correction is di- directed at the self-reliance. And so listen, Christians should be those who plan and produce and build, and create. Like God gave us this earth to steward and to cultivate. Like We should be productive people. God gave us brains and wisdom to plan and, and to, to be wise in how we do those things. So there's nothing wrong with be, taking a measure of control that God has given us. Do not fall into passivity and laziness and fear. No, live your life and go at it to the fullest. But be God-dependent, God-reliant, not self-reliant. Be faithful to whatever God has given you to do, whether it be a big thing or a small thing. But in whatever that you do, be god reliance, not self reliance. And what does this look like? What does it look like to, to humbly walk in God-reliance, not self-reliance? Well, let me give you several hooks here to kind of point us in the right direction. First, be prayerful. prayer Prayer calibrates us to God-reliance. It postures our hearts in dependence and humility. Prayer causes us to begin every venture with this acknowledgement that it is by God's power that anything succeeds, not my own power. Prayer orients us to this sense that I live for God's will, not my will. And so be prayerful. Submit your plans to him. Ask for wisdom. Ask for guidance. Ask for favor ask for discernment. Second, be word-saturated. Like, the plans that we make, the values that we live by, the things we give ourselves to in life, like, those are shaped by something. Like, something is shaping all of that in your heart. Let it be God's word that shapes you. May our plans, our hearts, our values, our goals, all of that be shaped by God and his word. Listen, being God-reliant means being reliant and submitted to the authority of God's word. For a heart to say, if the Lord wills, that's a heart that longs to serve the Lord. It's a heart that longs to submit to his word and be shaped by his word. So be word-saturated. Read it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it, pray it, sing it, live it. Be word-saturated. Third, Seek godly counsel. If the first two you're like, yes, I'm on board, this is where it gets a little bit more difficult. Listen, you do not possess all the wisdom and insight you need for life. The culture may tell you you are enough. Listen, you're not. And that's okay. You were never intended to be enough. You were intended to live within a community. That is good, that is right, that is beautiful. One of the great graces of the church community is that we now have a family. We have brothers and sisters who come alongside us and help us and offer wisdom and insight and guidance. And we do the same for them. Like we don't have to live with the burden of self-reliance. We don't have to live with the burden of doing it all on our own and figuring everything out on our own. We can go and ask for help. We can go and ask for wisdom and counsel. And listen, I know, I know, this is hard. I'm not one to ask for help. My wife will tell you, my friends will tell you, I am not one to ask for help. It is hard. But we need to learn to put to death self-reliance by seeking godly counsel from others. God speaks his word and wisdom through his people. We need each other. We need those who are going to be honest and wise with us, not just people who will validate what we already want to do, but people who will tell us the truth, people who will give us godly counsel, godly wisdom. Understand God's design for you is not to live in self-reliance. And I know some of you, you carry the scars of community, and so this becomes really hard because trusting people is hard. It is. I'm not going to deny that it isn't. It is but it is God's design that you would live in community and experience the grace of community. And so if it is hard, take the steps necessary to walk towards that, walk towards God's design. It may take time, but by the Spirit, you can heal and you can move in that direction. Fourth, love people, don't use people. Like one of the quickest ways to kill self-reliance is by genuinely loving and caring for and serving others giving yourself to others that they may know Christ. One, it takes the focus off yourself. You stop just being focused on yourself and you start caring about other people. But here's the other reason why. Like if you're genuinely going to love people and sacrifice and give yourself to other people, here's what you realize very quickly, you can't do it on your own. Like you need God's help. You need the power of the spirit. You need the wisdom of the word. You need other people to come alongside you and encourage you like to give yourself so that others may know Christ and thrive in him, that puts you in a posture of self-reliance quicker than most things. And so rather than using people, rather than seeing people as part of your agenda, love them, care for them, pursue God's agenda for them. Serve and love people. Don't use people. And finally, choose faith over fear. Like self-reliance is certainly born out of pride. Like, like there's a way we can posture ourselves against God, and God, you're not gonna tell me how to live my life, you're not gonna tell me what to do. Sometimes that can be very obvious. But more often, pride is far more subtle. And one of the subtle ways that pride takes root is fear. Because here's what happens: the way when we fall into fear. Like, functionally, what fear is, it's not believing that God is good. It's not believing that God is powerful and that He cares for you. Well, what will keep us from saying, if the Lord wills, is fear that God does not care about us. It's the fear that God is not actually watching out for us, watching over us, that His power is not coming into our lives And here's what will happen. Even when we make a mess of things in our own self-reliance, even as we continue to make a mess of our own lives or maybe the mess mess in the life of other people, like we dig our heels in and we double down on the self-reliance. Why? Because we're so afraid we're alone. We're so afraid that God doesn't love, that he doesn't care, that his power isn't for you. But friends, that is a lie. That is a lie. Like, yes, there is sin. Yes, there is pain. Yes, there is suffering. Yes, there is disappointment. All those things are real. But saying, if the Lord wills, is doing this. It's saying, I see all of that, but I believe God's goodness and his sovereignty are greater. In the midst of all of that, I believe God is good. We say, if the Lord wills, because we know whatever the Lord wills is good, and we can trust him. And what gives us confidence? Like, what gives us the confidence to choose faith over fear? Like, what compels us to say, if the Lord wills, in the midst of all of the pain and sin and disappointments? What compels us to be God-reliant and not self reliance when it is so easy to give over to fear? Well, friends, it's the good news of the incredible promise found in Jesus Christ. Friends, it's the, it's the good news of God's plan and purpose through Jesus Christ. Like, over in the book of Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, the Apostle Paul writes something very profound for us. He writes this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Like, listen to the confidence Paul has. We know, we know. It's not maybe, we hope, we know. Though our world is full of suffering and sickness and sin and injustice and disease and death, we know, we have confidence that for those who love God, those who are in Christ, all things work together for good. Why? Because those who belong to Christ God has called them according to his purpose. And what's his purpose? To conform those who are in Christ into the image of Christ, to be made like Jesus. So, listen, here's our confidence, church. Here's our confidence. God predestined, he predetermined, he planned, and he purposed that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. Full stop. Like God set that plan in eternal concrete to be unmoved, unshaken, unbroken. And so what that means for us, if you are in Christ, you belong to God. And despite the sin, the suffering, the pain, the disappointments, the brokenness, all of that mess, like God takes all of that mess and turns it for our good. And what is that good? To be made like Jesus, I mean, think about this. Jesus is the perfection of love, righteousness, goodness, truth, beauty, whatever the virtue, whatever, whatever grand thing, Jesus is it. And God determined to make you like that, predetermined. He didn't make it up he was going along. He didn't just decide on a whim. No, he planned to do this. That's our confidence, church. And how does he do this? Well, he calls us. Like the gospel goes forward, and by the power of the gospel and the power of the Spirit, He bids your dead heart come alive. His word, His truth, cuts through every lie, every rebellion, meets you in the darkest pit of your sin, and rescues you. And those He called, He also justified through Jesus Christ. You are fully and completely forgiven of all your sin, no longer guilty of your sin. You are set free, you are righteous. But God doesn't just justify, he also glorifies. This is the good news. God doesn't just remove the guilt of our sin. As awesome as that would be, he doesn't stop there. says he glorifies, he glorified. God transforms us, our hearts, our minds, our souls, our bodies, our entire being. God renews, he forgives, he sets free, he empowers us by the spirit, he conforms us to Christ and one day he's going to lead us into the glory of a new heavens and new earth. And friends, listen, your life here may be a vapor, but life in eternity is firm and fixed and forever. And and notice what he says, glorified, past tense. Paul is so confident. God's word is so confident. The plan of God is so sure. Paul can talk about the future as if it's past, like it's a done deal. The future is set if you are in Christ. Friends, this is our confidence, This is why we can say, if the Lord wills, because of this unbreakable plan, because of God's sure and set purpose and will for you if you are in Christ. This is why we can say, if the Lord wills. This is why we can choose faith over fear. This is why we are God-reliant rather than self-reliant. This is why we don't need to be control freaks. Rather than being control freaks, we can be God-reliant in our jobs, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our friendships, in our finances, in, in all the circumstances of life. Like Friends, when you consider the great power and salvation that we have in Christ that is sure and fixed and set, why would we ever be self-reliant? If the very power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that is at work in our lives, if all of this mess is actually being worked out for our good in Jesus Christ, why would we ever be self-reliant? Why would we ever depend upon our own power when the power of God is at work in our lives? Listen, let me just say a couple things here in conclusion. This confidence only comes in Christ. Like this confidence only comes for those who are in Christ. Like it's only through faith in Jesus and by the power of Jesus that we are forgiven and set free from our sin and our rebellion and the self-deception of self-reliance. Jesus took the punishment and the judgment that you and I deserve because of our rebellion on himself, and he was crucified and he died, but he was raised again on the third day. And just as Christ was raised, we have been raised to walk in new, God-reliant life. And so the question this morning is, is are you walking in that life? Do you trust in Jesus? If you would say this morning, no, I don't. I never have. Well, here's the good news for you, friends. Jesus holds out his grace to you today. Today you can turn from your sin, turn from your self-reliance, and you can become God-reliant today by putting your trust in Christ. But for those of you that do trust in Christ, those of you who are part of First City Church, let us be God-reliant rather than self-reliance. By the power of the Spirit, let us continue to put to death the self-deception and the rebellion of self-reliance. By the power of the Spirit, let's walk in humility and let's be prayerful Let's be people who are word-saturated. Let's be people who seek godly counsel from one another. Let us be people who love others and not use others. And most of all, let's choose faith over fear. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that While we have spent so much time, so much wasted time being self-reliant, you have been faithful to us. God, your grace, your plan, your purpose is far greater than anything we could design for ourselves. And so I pray, Father, that the goodness of the gospel, that the power of your plan to conform us to the image of Christ that we can trust that all things work together for our good, that you're working all of those things for the grand purpose of making us like Jesus, to bring us into a glorious new heavens and new earth. God, that that would shine so bright that it would shine out our self-reliance. It would drown it out. We would run from it. Even this morning, God, would we turn from it and we would turn to you we would grow as a people of prayer and a people of the word and a people who are open and seek help for one another, that we would love each other and that we would walk in faith. God, by your spirit and by your word, would you do that in us this morning? Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.